I'm going to get us rolling right off the top here. Uh, we watched, as I now said twice, we watched Little Trouble in Big China. That's um, okay. I it's Big Trouble in Little China, you stupid fool. Big... <laughs> what did I say? You said Little Trouble in Big China. Which would I be, did we not. We should make that movie. If, it would be Kurt <laughs> literally running around in actual China. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I found really interesting for how good this movie is. Uh, spoilers, I give, I give it a very high grade. Uh, also, if I had seen this movie as a child around the same time as I saw Ghostbusters and Ninja Turtles original movies, I this would just be there with them. I don't know how I've never seen this. Uh, I feel like lots of my friends growing up loved it, but I, we never like rented it on a sleepover. And it's not that bad. Like there is some like there's some pretty good violence and there's like one F one or two F bombs, but like this is a PG 13 movie. Like it's the same as ghostbusters. It's maybe rated less. Yeah. So, um, you got it. Right. You know, you know what you're talking about. This is a ghostbusters and I'm surprised you've never seen it. I am. It's ghost. It's it. Chinese ghostbusters, honestly. <laughs> and Kurt, uh, I don't know. And Kurt, and Kurt Russell, akin to ghostbusters. Kurt Russell is Star Lord, and we'll get into that as we talk about it. Um, and the connections There's also to a little bit of Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Well, I think that that I think that Raiden from Mortal Kombat is based off of a like Chinese legend that this is using as one of its ghosts. Anyway, that's all stuff we'll get into as we talk about this. Um, I've pretty much that's pretty is much it? my history. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure the people who made Ghostbusters probably watched this movie and didn't study ancient Chinese culture. They probably <laughs> no, saw I, no, it, Little China. They're like, we're going to have like a guy who's like one of those guys from Big Trouble in Little China. Mortal Kombat is what we were, what, what, what we were talking about. You said Ghostbusters. Oh, but that's all right. I knew what you meant. But that's basically it I for didn't. me. Like, I, have n I don't know how I've never seen this movie, and it's now a movie I'm going to watch probably twice a year to make up for the fact that I've met, that I did these two dudes, the Wang and, and Johnny or uh, John, yeah. Jim, J Jack, they are fucking chef's kiss as a, as a, as a duo. Um, I like how over time Wang like reveals that he's got crazy fucking Kung Fu power. But anyway, that's, that's my history with this movie. I'll, I'll turn it over to Kalen. Uh, how, what's your history? With this film, and because... Before I, before I say my history, am I allowed to make myself a drink? This much? What? I don't care. Okay. Um, so my history... Oh, I'm I actually... you're going to drink it and be like, I feel different. I feel stronger. <laughs> <laughs> I, do the whole I feel stronger. <laughs> I feel like I'm not afraid. <laughs> the guy that, like, expands whatever. Um, I actually haven't... I, I never saw this movie until, I think, a year ago. Um, on Netflix when it was on there. Um, and also, yeah, I was happily surprised and impressed with it. Um, and you know, a nice little what, what would you call it? A fantasy action? Yeah, yeah, it's a, a fantasy yeah. action martial arts. Yeah, it's like a martial arts fantasy um, adventure. They literally they go like. Yeah. It's like the it's second the, act is a literal adventure. Adventure, yeah. Like, 
The slowest part of the movie is the beginning when Egg Shen is like, yeah, and then it goes and like runs to the. And end. then it's just yeah, and then it's just uh, fucking a solid hour and thirty five minutes of just the best things I've ever seen. Also, that's the that's the grandfather Egg Egg Chen Egg Fu. He's the grandfather from Three Ninjas. Egg Shen. That's where he's from. I was trying to remember where I knew him from. Yeah. Also, that very first scene wasn't originally in it. They, The studio or whatever made them add it, which I think would have been better if they started it the way they were supposed to start it. Also, chalk it up to Carpenter for, like, doing everything in a movie again or whatever, right? You know, I've, I've heard that, what you just said before, like, it wasn't supposed to start that way. Like, I know that they added that afterwards because they it was unclear that uh, Jack Burton was supposed to be heroic throughout the movie. Like, he is very much an idiot throughout. Yeah. But as a kid, I remember, like, that intro, like, I always got so excited with a guy being like, well, you mean magic exists? And he's like, yes. Like, just like that <laughs> whole little bit, I was like, oh my god, what is this movie about? And then it's just about magic yeah. the whole time. So, like, I kind of like it, and, you know, maybe it, it probably wasn't needed, but it did jazz me up as a kid. Just, I had a thought that I had started before that I just want to finish now because it kind of pertains to where we're at in the show. But I can't believe they never did any any sequel. This character right. di- lives and dies in this movie. There's a comic book sequel, then that's it. John Carpenter never brought this character back. But no, nobody franchised it, which might be better ultimately. But I think it. Like I would watch a trilogy of these. I would watch a. I would watch a Jack Bard TV show. But it's not always like he go. Not always Chinatown. He just finds himself in like different hilarious situations that he is he, yeah big trouble in san francisco big trouble in canada big trouble uh, in trouble in san francisco. <laughs> Die hard on it's, called, it's, it's called this movie and then big trouble in la is called escape from uh, new york. and then yeah, that's true. new york is called yeah. escape from new york but yeah okay also both made by uh uh john carpenter but i think the reason that this movie didn't get any kind of subsequent sequels is because John Carpenter doesn't like making sequels, one, and also this movie made no money. Like, it, it did not do well. It yeah. didn't perform well at all. No. Um, I could see that. It would be in the theater like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's like super creative and very much like a, like, if you were to have to draw a line down what PG-13 is, this is like the... Ooh, that's a hard one. This is the line. This is like where you... Yeah. Like, they have like, uh, like, prostitution that they're dealing with like they don't, it's not but no nudity no nudity no nudity but like they're dealing with like very mature uh you know set pieces where it's like yeah we're taking these people to work in the sex trade like the underground dark sex trade but like they don't really like throw that in your face but there's a moment where kurt russell's like all right so i want a, a lady with green eyes and i, what, can I, I that's one of my favorite bits yeah, and you're like, he's just going to a whorehouse. In the yeah, he, he, they call it the exchange, too. Like, it's it's not, and the scene in the elevator where they're all going, ooh, I feel, feel so good, I feel hot. Like, that's cocaine. Like, that's an allegory or a metaphor for, like, they're all hopped up on cocaine drink. They just keep talking, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when it starts to lull, he's like, is it hot in here or is it just me? <laughs> yeah. It is very much like a crazy 80s drug world. 
So, but Kaylin, were you uh, had you finished your your uh, origin story with this movie? Yes, I was about to give it back to you, Jason. My origin story was last year, and uh, I have started loving it since then. All right, well, that leaves Steve then. Uh, you, you, you're you the most familiar with this movie, I believe. I think you, you saw it young? I saw it young, um, but I saw it at a, a point that was appropriate. This movie is like Ghostbusters 2 or... Um, a few of the other movies that we've discussed before where I'm like, I watched it too young. I think I watched this like perfectly at the right point in time where I was like right. familiar enough with like practical effects. Scary stuff was still scary to me, but not too scary. And I could tell the difference between supposed to be scary on screen that would terrify me and things that are like, it's spooky and it wouldn't freak me out. So I wasn't like, oh God, like everything is, spooky <laughs> is fine. Uh, it's like Ninja Turtles. Like Ninja Turtles, I had the same effect towards when I was a kid. Where, like there were certain things that were scary to me. Sometimes even things that weren't meant to be scary. Like April O'Neil when she first sees the Ninja Turtles and she would scream and she's like splinter and she screams even louder and runs out. That used to scare me. Yeah, that's how easily scared I was. But uh, this movie, everything was nice. And I only saw it think once when I was very young and then I didn't see it again until I was maybe like 23 and it was when I was working in a warehouse scenario and like I heard somebody be like uh well the check's in the mail and I was like what? <laughs> I don't know what that's from and then I was like oh what is that from and he's like it's from Big Trouble in Little China and I was like I think I've seen that and he described the whole movie to me and I was like I haven't seen this movie since I was a kid and I went home and I downloaded it and I watched it and then I watched it a whole bunch of times and now I watch it uh, like maybe once or twice a year because I really do love it. Like it's a perfect example of early Kurt Russell and like what we love about him now and why we still love him even though like, you know, yeah. it's very overblown and verbose. He's basically just doing a John Wayne impression through the entire movie. Well, that's what I was, yeah. or Clint Eastwood, he's like dirty Harry almost. Uh, I I wanted to point out something hilarious in this movie where Kim Cattrall is a terrible actor. Uh, she was awful, but she played. But maybe she's so good that she played the ham-fisted character of Gracie Law, attorney at law, in, in, in a comedic way. I did like her reactions to things were really funny, but I found that any time that she had to like do any like acting, she was just Kim Cattrall. Um, oh, as opposed to Kurt Russell, who's basically just doing a caricaturized version of... Uh, but Kurt Russell is like... Uh, I feel like he gets away with it a little bit more because I, he's just like... The, the, he's, he's just a chin. He's just a chin. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I have to put a stop to this. Because you cannot say that Kim Cattrall is acting poorly in this movie when, and then at the same time say that Kurt Russell is doing an amazing job because I think they're both taking what they were given and doing an amazing job because she, her like introduction at the airport, whatever, it's fine. Oh, it's okay. yeah. or whatever. But like when she comes in pretending to be a little old Asian lady with an umbrella and then she takes <laughs> off all the layers and then does the umbrella down then she goes, don't worry. Don't panic. It's just me, Gracie Law. You're like, oh, I know what this is. This is a cartoon. I'm watching a it was a I think it was the style, yeah. Like, right, okay, that's it. fair. She understands what she's doing, and she plays it the entire time. She doesn't break to it. That, 
that's a good point that you bring up about that because a lot of people say that like the matrix is the first time they did like a live action anime but this almost plays like a live action anime and what it really reminded me of is the same kind of comedy and action as a movie like kung fu hustle i feel like this is a, a spiritual uh uh precursor to that kind of like comedy overacted um like larger than life moments almost like that movie obviously has a lot more ridiculous stuff and it's more comedy yeah. than this even though this is pretty much straight up comedy uh but like th those larval, are two larva stage yeah and that's like the butterfly stage or whatever it, it, <laughs> those are two I mean, things i kept thinking about i, I can see that because i do agree it, it is very cartoony it is anime influenced but i would say that it's like if if the matrix is like you know streamlined anime like a ninja scroll or something yeah or akira and this is like the janky 80s like anime dragon ball like maya <laughs> like, the like beast the original dragon ball or like, yeah like like uh astro boy or something you know? the uh <laughs> the return to oz anime i don't know if you guys remember that but that was on at six o'clock on saturday morning but there was an anime there was an anime. It was done in the same animation as of, as Maya the Bee and a couple other ones. Oh, and yeah, it yeah, was yeah, yeah. Return to Oz, and it was just as fucked up as the movie. It's expanding on that universe. Right. Which why would you? Why did you? Why did you need to do that? Eighties probably because cocaine. Because <laughs> of coke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, can well, I give a shout out to the stoner uh, sweater that he's wearing at the beginning? <laughs> I was going to know, and he wears it at the end, too, because after he wears his, like, his, you know, trademark shirt for the whole movie, he's just back in his, like, stoner, uh, hippie, hippie shirt. But if I, and his boots? What's up with those boots, man? Those boots are crazy. I was like, are they, they look, cowboy boots? They no, he keeps opening. They, he keeps, they're, they're, they look comfortable. It's true, they do. This movie, I feel like it had a lot of Chinese folklore, but also, like, Steve... Was that an eye of the beholder? Was that a beholder in the movie that just had a like, like a uh, face? It, it wasn't a beholder, but it's very, very oh. influenced by a beholder. And it looks like a beholder, but it's not a beholder because a be beholder has a mouth that doesn't have a giant eyeball in it and also has... What's beholder eyeball. from? It's like they turned a beholder upside down and instead of uh, you know, having it have a mouth that was proper. Anyway, yeah, it looks like a beholder. And, like, I like this movie a lot because it feels like it would fit into a Ghostbusters world or an Ninja Turtles world, but also it, like, is encapsulating its own weird world. Like, like you said, it could, I'm surprised this show didn't have a RoboCop cartoon, a Rambo cartoon, a Ghostbusters cartoon, or an Ninja Turtles cartoon. This show, yeah. or this movie feels like it could have its own uh, cartoon show. Yeah, especially the way it ended, for sure. Well, yeah. I... You want to? It's time for Jason's conspiracy corner. I have a theory about this movie. It, he, so there's two. There's two bits to this to this theory. So the first, the first part, is that where the the characters of Gracie and and uh, Jack are inserts. They're the audience in okay. inserted into this movie. And okay, yeah. it, we're supposed to be them in this crazy yeah. world because they don't explain anything. Things are just happening to them, especially Jack. Right. Things just keep happening to him. My second part of the theory is that um, Jack is really into Chinese folklore and the whole thing is happening. Him telling stories that? over him telling stories over CB radio. 
because he's a trucker. Uh, but why is he in? Why, why do you say he's in the Chinese folklore? Because he's telling a story over CB radio about Chinese folklore. About what these different gangs. Like, ex wife and shit? Oh, no, that, at the end? I mean, the whole time. The whole time. He doesn't pull. He doesn't pull in to gamble. He tells it. He starts telling a story over CB radio. That is the right. It's he just tells the story of the, the film. podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was wondering that about CB radio. I, I was watching something else that had a CB CB radio component to it recently, and I was like, do these guys just get on the radio on long rides and just so, like tell I'm each other? Joyride. I heard. As, I heard a, a, most of what you said. And I, I don't disagree because I think that Gracie Law and Jack Burton are meant to be audience inserts, but I think they're also That's meant great. to be there to show us that, like, you know, we look at the real world or whatever, like the world that exists around us, and we don't really see things for what they are. And, like, as much as this is a exploitive movie in terms of Asian culture, it's also, like... You know, like, how much do you know about Asian culture? And, like, I think that at the time of this movie, it's like, what do you think it is? And it's like, oh, it's just magic and shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> and electric spewing ghosts. And, and, and a 12-foot-tall ghost man. Yeah, and so, like, Seven. John Carpenter, like, <laughs> <laughs> and, like, all the things that you thought were just actually real, and they were tucked away in a little corner of Chinatown in San Francisco. Let's make it real. And it's like, it's so good and entertaining but at the same time it's like not really offensive because the two biggest idiots in the entire movie actually the three biggest idiots in the movie are the three uh okay, just... white people who think they know what's going yeah. on gracie law a little bit elevated because she at least is like i know what's going on here you don't <laughs> i know everything about this whole layout of this entire gang organization um and then there's like the journalist who's like yeah, her like, looking for a story, but she's just also there to be. Like, oh yeah, her friend or whatever, like tertiary character. And then there's Jack Burton yeah. who thinks that he is the main character of the movie, which he is he, not he he... the main character. He thinks he's the main character, but he's not the main. There's literally parts where he like, yeah. shoots the ceiling and knocks himself out, and like he throws his knife away and runs to go get it, and then his buddy is like killing everybody and comes out and he's like, "Well, I'm glad we took care of this." Like, that that's what that, that was a big moment for me that that characterization was such a big moment for me watching this movie because i love guardians of the galaxy so much and star lord and the star lord specifically is is jack barton uh, right down to the first like line you get is like the guy's like who are you and he's like i'm star lord and the guy's like who oh, yeah. Yeah. that's in this that's from yeah. this movie also, yeah. and then in the sequel, like he clearly, uh, 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 Star Lord would have loved this movie because he's from this era. Uh, he would have yeah. characterized himself like that. And then you have him being like my dad's uh, uh, Hasselhoff, and then his real dad is Kurt Russell, who plays oh, yeah. Ego in the sequel, right? So yeah. I really like a lot of dots connected. Like and to go back to our conversation, to go back to our conversation it's, from it's last week. Like mind-blowing to me jason that you've never seen this movie right i i don't know how i don't know i'm sorry uh, i don't mean to uh i don't mean to be reductive to the points that you just made they're all very poignant and they're very true and they've also been proven a million times like this is exactly i know why they chose i'm late to the parody <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Like you're not you're not making a mind blowing point right now. That is exactly no, I know, I know. That's not that's not what I'm trying. That's not what I'm trying to do at all. I, this was this was all for me in my head. I have to say it out loud, so it's said out loud by me, basically. Okay. The other thing, like fuck, I lost my train of thought a little bit. But basically, the other thing that I was trying to convey is like you, last week we were talking about how I thought Roddy Piper's characterization of uh, of Nada was what Duke Nukem was based off of, and you were like, no, 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 it's like all these things. I would go so far as to say that like. Visually, Duke Nukem is like more Jack Barton, even you know. So these well, are just things that I was thinking. Wait till we watch the rest of John Carpenter's catalogs. So It'll be like, you know what? Maybe it's Snake Plissken. Maybe Snake. Is <laughs> I think it is Snake Plissken. I think you're right. I think we're gonna. I think. I think Duke Nukem might just be a John Carpenter specifically yeah. mashup. Uh, with long hair, bald on top, sunglasses, and a synth in front of him. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> the music in this was incredible too, dude. The did music in this. The, did you listen to the Carpenter's the, always the, killing the, it? The song at the end, so like we're trouble. We're yeah. That's that's John Carpenter singing. That. Oh my god, that was so good. So why um, do you think you didn't see it before? I think what happened was this what happened with Steve in other movies where I might have thought the Kung Fu was, like, super gory. And to that point, like, that fight at the beginning between the two gangs was, like, there were some pretty graphic moments. Like, he breaks his arm, breaks it backwards, yeah, smashes the guy's head into the wall, and it just, like, crumples. I have uh, a, that kind of stuff. I have a theory that it is that this movie did not do well in theaters. And I don't think my parents were familiar with it at all. Maybe your parents weren't either, and that's why they didn't show it to you. Like, they were familiar with Ghostbusters. They were familiar with, um, whatever, insert whatever movie here, Jaws, whatever. You they probably also it. got promoted differently, too. They probably didn't get promoted at all. It was probably... Yeah, there were probably no trailers. Yeah, and so... My dad was, was a... My dad was a home movie sorry. guy. Like, he would... Sorry, go ahead, Steve. Sorry, I'll, I'll save it. No, I think we're like on a slight delay where we're both like, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go, I'll go. Um, Like I said, I I think it was, this movie was not the same thing as Ghostbusters. It was not the same thing as Jaws. It wasn't the same thing as E.T. It wasn't the same thing as all these movies that came out before we were even born. Um, It was a movie that existed and maybe played on cable once in a while. And then maybe there was some weirdo dad who, when you went to a sleepover, they would have the VHS... And you'd watch it and be like, what is this movie? I've never seen this before. The same thing yeah. with Evil Dead for me. Like, I watched oh. Evil Dead way, way too young. I didn't see it again until I was, like, a hungry adult looking for weird yeah. shit to watch. And, yeah, uh, and I, I've I, told this podcast many times that fucking RoboCop broke my brain because I watched it when I was literally, like, good. six years old. And that's why I, can't, I couldn't handle gore until fucking ten years ago. And my dad was. I texted my dad and I was like, "Why have you never shown me?" He hasn't gone back to me, but what I he imagine say? he's going to say he he hasn't said anything yet. But I imagine what he's going to say is either I didn't know about that movie until much later, or I couldn't get my hands on a because he was a he he didn't we didn't really go to the theaters as a kid. He would buy the he had a, like got a direct line to the guy who like had the movies right like retail. So he, when they came out, he would just get a list, and he'd be like, "I want this and this and this." So we, we, I'd get these movies 
right when they came out, but you pay like 60 bucks for them because owning a movie back in the early 90s was you had to pay $60, which is crazy because you pay, you know, you pay the I don't retail price. Yeah, now you pay $60, you get a steel case with a bunch of discs, and you get director's commentaries and like five other versions of the movie. <laughs> um, Jason, I, as much as I like your breakdown of that scenario, I think the reality is probably that your dad maybe saw it in theaters <clears throat> and didn't for it based on the reality or reaction of like his friend. <laughs> How did you make your phone do that? Like his friend said it sucks, and he believed it sucked, and he never wanted to watch it again. No, my dad. My dad would love this shit. Like, I'm gonna at Christmas or whenever I go down next time, I'm gonna bring it with me. He would love this shit. My dad. Not love it now. Saying that maybe it's a time, but it's true. That that is the issue with most John Carpenter movies outside of the Halloween. A delayed appreciation. It's yes, yeah, yes, uh, and 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 like I think the thing is the only one that like broke that barrier of like John Carpenter movies are great. Like he had to be attached to something else, like a Christine or something like that, where it's like Stephen King was attached to it for people to take interest. The reason why I think that it should hold a bigger place in my life is because I love John Carpenter, and I know that there's many people that love John Carpenter. I'm just talking grand scheme, you know? But it's because but, all uh, my friends... <laughs> it's all my friends. I, I When I was in my 20s, everybody was like, you've never seen... You've never seen Big Bitch... Big Big Bitch in Little China. Big Trouble in Little China. You, you never saw... You, you never saw it. And I was just like... I don't know. Maybe when I was a kid, like I used to do that thing that you hear people do. Now I'm trying to make up for that by actually watching all the movies. But oh, I'm sure I saw it when I was younger. I, I used to be that guy, and I made all those uh, movies. I think I've gone through them now. I've watched over 400 movies in the last two two years and one month, and I'm trying to just get all those movies in that I ever said that about. And this is definitely one of them. It. And I'm definitely saying that I cannot believe that I never saw this. Uh, but at the same time, now that St- Steve, like what you what, what you said, I think that that's the most likely thing that happened. It just wasn't advertised properly. There were no sequels. You didn't go to the movies and see a movie poster for it because it came out a year before I was even born. So it wouldn't have been like in the zeitgeist while I was alive. So it probably just came and went. And then in like the late nineties, early two thousands, probably had a cult resurgence. That's what I assume. Yeah. Uh, Steve, yeah. quick um, side note. What were you drawing before this episode? Yeah, sorry. Somebody asked me, what kind of glove are you wearing, sir? And I was like, I forgot I had it on. I, I draw digitally, and when you when you draw digitally, your hand gets stuck on stuff, so you wear a glove to make it glide around easy. Um, I was drawing... Well, I, I guess I can show you. I'm not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Inside, first, first, uh, first viewings. Check this it out. Is- it doesn't look like much, but this is what I was drawing just before we started. It's a it tunnel. Like a cave. It is a cave, and there's going to be water coming out of it. You can see the little lines. I have like my little thumbnail in the background. Anyway, it looks like uh, a Star Wars. It looks like the part in uh, Empire Strikes Back where Luke's about to get beaten up by a wampa. I can give you the one <laughs> just before it, which is, I think is done. Hold on, this is the one just before it. Nice. Cool. The person I walking up at the moon. Cold? 
No, they're in like a room, and that little orb is like the friend that talks to them. It goes, "Oh my god, oh. we need oh, to god. get out of here." Anyway, sorry, this has nothing to do with the podcast. <laughs> it's a big trouble, little China pictures. Yeah. Um, so I, I quickly. So last week, Steve, you spent the whole episode doing the, the plot synopsis. We talked all through it. it it's not a big deal. Um, we don't have to do a. We this movie is going to be impossible to do a beat by beat. I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a plot synopsis. I've been thinking about it, and it's 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 very it's very quick. And based and then we can just go back to talking about whatever. Right. So basically, what happens is Snake Plissken. Okay, I'll go fast too. Snake Plissken, aka Jack Burton is uh, a man of the Burton, road. He's Burton, a, Burton, Tim Burton. Burton, not Burton. <laughs> Tim Burton. <laughs> he's, a, he's a man of the, the road. He's a cowboy. He, he drives a, a steel truck, uh, and he rides it from town to town, and he gets embroiled in a situation where he goes to gamble against his buddy Wang, and he beats his buddy Wang, and his buddy Wang is like, double or nothing, and then he beats him again. No, no, no. He says nothing or double. Uh, okay, whatever. He does. Pedantic. That's awesome. It made, it made me laugh every time he said it. Nothing or double. I'm like, that ain't pedantic. Anyway, what ends up happening is while they're going to, you know, Jack's like, I want my money now. And, and Wang's like, we've been friends for years. And he's like, no, no, no. I want my money now. Let's go get it from the restaurant you own because you own a restaurant and I drive a truck. Yeah, I don't have any. I'm not pulling any cargo right now. I got nothing. I got a thousand dollars. Give me my money. So anyway, a thousand story. Forty-eight dollars to be exact. Right. Uh, the subtitles <laughs> was actually wrong on that too. He said one thousand forty-eight. It said one thousand two hundred forty-eight. Anyway, so when they're going to get the money, uh, they end up. Do they, they go to the, the airport right away, or do they see the fight first? He has no, to go pick up the girl. Airport. Yeah. Right. They go to see the girl. That's where they see the death gang. The uh, those glasses. Those glasses were tight as fuck. They were like white, were almost like splits? easy glasses, but just like one those foot. Were, those were very anime bad guy glasses where they have yeah, absolutely. Those were definitely they have like a, yeah, yeah, a yeah. giant plastic thing that like over accentuates the way that their eyes look kind of thing. It's like, yeah, it was good. Very cool. So Wang's yeah. going to pick up his girlfriend, uh, who he's, he's saved up all this money to bring over from China. Meanwhile, there's this other girl there who, who Jack is like, yo, what's her deal? And he's like, and Wang's like, that's a lawyer. And he's like, how do you know that? Yeah. And then anyway, then a gang comes through and just and grabs the uh, Wang's girlfriend. Uh, and then one minute for a second, the soundtrack sure. starting from the like the when they grab him, the like the music goes <laughs> for like ever, after. like until they're all the way into the the alley, like with. The, the fight, the big fight. That music goes yeah. the entire time. Anyway, go ahead. So, um, yeah. So essentially, they they're like, "What the fuck? You took my girlfriend!" And they pursue them uh, back to Chinatown. And when they get to Chinatown, they they're driving through an alleyway and they see these two gangs fight. And then it's like, you know, at this point, I'm like, "Oh, it's just going to be kind of like uh, a Brumble in the Bronx. It's going to be like, I on the cover, I know there's a literal magician on the cover of the movie." But I'm still at this point, like, there's no real, like, there's magic, but there's some guys who are doing electric trick at the end of the movie. Nope. Guess what happens? Three crazy electric mages come down and just disrupt the whole scene. The two gangs that are fighting. Yeah, they just start fucking it up. Uh, 
I don't know what the point. The one guy with like the the saw blades on his hands. I don't really know what he's going to do. You walk up to a guy and just like do that to his face with the saw blades spinning. Well, he can move <laughs> his arms around, and he basically just has razor blades, like like saw blades on his arms. Fair enough. So they bounce. Uh, what ends up happening is the truck gets stolen by the gang. I am skipping stuff here for the sake of time. Lots, yeah. This movie has too many points. You can't. You, there's like yeah. no way to go through it like this. Yeah. Essentially, what happens here in this middle second act is the truck gets stolen, and then they go fi- try to find it. And it turns out that they get embroiled in this next plot that is these mages. This main mage has his mage cronies, and the mage cronies are trying to collect a woman with jade eyes. And the only way that this one mage, who's an old, old 2000 year old dude who has got a corporeal form. It's like an old, who's an old man. The only, but he's trapped in this like tomb of like underground sort of place where he can't leave unless he goes not corporeal and turns into the, the seven foot ghost man. Uh, he needs to marry and get the blood of the jade, the jade dragon eyed uh, Chinese lady. But now two, Green-eyed ladies have fallen into his lap, so he's like, "I'm gonna marry both of them." And then Josh's <laughs> like, "Fuck!" So much now. <laughs> Almost the whole movie. At this point. Yep, I did. We're get, we're get, we're gonna talk about all that stuff. We're gonna go back and talk about it. Then they they go in. They try to do. They try to rescue them. Doesn't work. They leave. They go back. Finally, they get this third. This, the gang. Uh, the yellow guys. The yellow gang. They have yellow on their gear. Not racist. Um, they go. They go Nobody I didn't need to say that. I didn't need to say that. Uh, they go back down. They uh, rescue the ladies. Um, the guy, the, the grandfather from Three Ninjas, uh, Egg, his name is Egg, uh, he gives them a special serum that allows them to fight these guys properly. Then uh, he's like, we got to have them get halfway married so he can get her blood on him so he can become corporeal and so I can kill him. He kills them. Meanwhile, there's all these monsters down there. There's monsters. There's like a snake fish thing that comes out of the wall. There's like a melted Harry and the Henderson monster who looks like a Sasquatch. He looks like Predator and yeah, Predator and Sasquatch had a baby. Uh, And like I said before, (laughs) a a, a beholder, but he's just all eyes and not enough tendrils. Oh, sorry. What's beholder from? What's that from? From Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, it's a Dungeons and Dragons villain, which is very powerful and scary because they can see all possible realities and know what you're going to do when you're going to do it, and they basically know you. Damn, how the fuck do you beat that? Oh, it's right. You don't think about what you're going to do. Exactly. Yeah, you got to stay puff marshmallow man that shit. So so anyway. Stop breaking uh, the phone, the camera. So anyway, they they save the day. They kill the guy. Uh, There's lots of great, great action. And uh, then, you know, Jack's like, on to the next town. And that, that's when I immediately okay, looked up if there was a sequel. Yeah, nah. Nope. Nah. Awesome. <laughs> ending. So good. Well, it's like a, it's like a, he's, he's Han Solo in that moment. Nah. Yeah. Nah. And it, it's a real, like, it, so what I found funny about their whole, like, love story if he kisses, he oogles, he oogles her, tries to feel her up, and she's like, stop. And then he kisses her for no reason, and she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't know. And Stop rubbing yourself up against me. I'm getting horny. And then they're in the elevator, and they're, they kiss, and she's like, are we doing this? And he's like, yep. And then they come out, and he's got makeup all over his face. And then at the end of the movie, the, they, yeah. they, they talk it out, basically. He's like, 
people tend to get sick of me when they're around me for a long time. And she, and he's like, well, why don't I, you know, I could settle down here. You know, we could make a run at it and try to, you know, get a place. I'll come off the road. And she's like, no, that's not necessary. We just get like a little tiny cab for your truck. We have a little enough room for two people back there. And they both kind of just look at each other and go, nah, we're probably not going to do that. Which opens it up for a sequel, and then he, as he's driving away, he's, he's about to tell the story on the CB radio. That's where I came up with the theory that this was all happening while he was right. driving, but then they yeah, cut I to like the that. back, I like that. and the Sasquatch Predator Monster is somehow crawls out from, like, very creature featurey, crawls out from underneath the truck, I guess. And then credits and then the great song by John Carpenter, which is just about what the things we've witnessed, which all great 80s movies have. Lethal Weapon had one. It's a lethal weapon. So that is basically the uh, uh, the plot of the movie. I did the opposite of what Steve did last week, where he took They Live and turned it into an hour, hour-long telecast about they live. I yes. feel like I may have. Uh, we also that. did the opposite of what you two did last week, which was interrupt me every fucking five seconds. <laughs> because I promised you I would get I'm through so it fast. And and Steve, to your point, I all that stuff in the middle, we can just talk about how great it was and and, and bring it up. Uh, like th- this is basically I skipped all this stuff where the old man tells this whole plot to Kim Cattrall. She's like, "What are you talking about?" Um, but I just, I, I think the plot segment should be uh, the, just two things from each act, and we'll, we'll get through her. But I did like your, I did like you telling the story of They Live because the, this movie has a lot of stuff to talk about, and They Live doesn't have a lot to talk about. No, They Live because it's not, well. I mean, it took us two hours to find out that aliens have been manipulating the wealthy to join them in their alien plot, and then he finds out, and then decides that he needs to stop it. <laughs> so that's what and this is, is. This, this is kind of that, but with uh, more comedy and Chinese folklore. Yeah, and it's also not specifically Chinese folklore, we should say. It's like a bunch of different folklore kind of mixed together. Um, okay. But, you know, it, it has a lot of um, some of the best... Chinese actors that have existed in Hollywood. Your boy, your boy uh, from two two of our previous movies who well, you love is in it. I mean, James Hong is one of the best actors, period, and he's been working consistently forever. I think he's like he's he is ninety two years old. James Hong is is, is probably same. for people who are going to stumble across this who don't know a lot about movie and TV. He's best known for Seinfeld. He was the uh, the episode best known for that anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, well, I I stopped I stopped progressing I mentally in 1999. Seinfeld. <laughs> well, the the Seinfeld episode that he's in is one of the most popular episodes of Seinfeld of all time, and it's the one he's the the maitre d' at the Chinese restaurant. Yeah. The bottle episode. Cartwright. I, I called out Cartwright, and it's like, well, is it Costanza? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, That's well, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what was it? I said it. No one answered, and I hung up. The like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. No, that's not who I meant, though. The guy who you love, who's the torturer in Lethal Weapon, though. Oh yes. Uh, I think his name is he. He's the not big... like a actor, but he's in a lot of oh. James Carpenter movies. Uh, is it Peter Kwong? 
Uh, no. I have the cast up in front of me. No. Uh, is it Carter Wong? Jeff, um, is it Jeff Amata? Jeff Amata sounds right, but I don't think it is. Hold on. His name is Endo. That's the name of his character in Lethal Weapon. His right. real name is... Why did I go to the Wikipedia of Lethal Weapon? I'm looking up right now oh, who... Stop yelling out names. <laughs> I don't want to say yes when I know it's wrong. So just a side note here. The, the main, the, the beefy yeah, dude who like makes it to the end. Okay. Uh, Carter Wong, he's the beefy guy who blows up. That dude captivated me throughout this whole movie. He had superpowers. He, he does allude to him exploding earlier in the movie where he starts to get big. But there, I'm looking at his picture at IMDb here, and he's jacked. He looks like a professional wrestler. And I really want to know if he was a professional wrestler because of how jacked he is. I mean, uh, I, I would probably say that in the casting of this movie, they were not necessarily looking for people that were capable of acting, especially in that role. But even though you could tell that he does not speak English as his first language based on just the limited amount of English dialogue that he gives, mm -hmm. he is, like you said, Jason, a very compelling character. And I think that's why um, John Carpenter decided to make him sort of like a highlight. Like, because they're, the other two characters, clearly, I think one of them doesn't speak any English or any words at all. The, the, the guy with the hair. The guy with the hair speaks the most. Yo, three thousand yeah. dollars. What? That wig was three thousand dollars. Oh, crazy! <laughs> I believe it. What wig? The wig he was wearing? Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. Well, I, was, did, I did some research on the movie, and uh, Peter Kwong. Peter Kwong, the one who played Rain, of the three, right. his wig was three thousand dollars. It was a good wig. It was a very good way. Anyway. I believe that was his real hair. Um, the big guy, the the one that we're talking about right now. Thunder. Thunder. He was the most compelling. He had the best death. And he also had the most charisma, even though, like, his one sort of, like, main dialogue is, I can't remember what he says, but it's, like, it's very janky and not great. And he's, like, and then you come get them or something at the end and then like the door closes and he like throws a cigar and you're like and it reminded me of that, that moment in the Simpsons where he's like 32 picks and that was the best one <laughs> like, like it was like, cool is that yeah he's yelling all he does in this movie pretty much is yell and if you're if you can be a captivating yeller like that said something the one other speaking line at the beginning when they're or not the, at the beginning but when they first get into the warehouse and the rest of the people are coming just after they interrogate um wang and jack burton and uh uh david or sorry james hong david lopan is like your friends are here who are they oh, this pisses me off more than anything uh -oh. i can ever about it and he like rolls away or whatever and then they're like we need to see our friends and then or, no, they're like, can we get a tour of the warehouse? No, no. And then he's like, I could help you. And they turn around and he's just like, ah, 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 
but also it has a lot of those like old kung fu movie tropes, like the sword fight between Wang and uh, uh, the hair guy yes. that goes on for most of the third, like at the first half of the third act when that big skirmish is happening. They're doing that ju- the jump move that you know a lot of people mostly know Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Like that's a that was the westernized take. You know, it is a it is a an Asian movie, but it is a it, it was the most mainstream one. Came out near the end of the nineties or the early two thousands, I think nineteen ninety eight or ninety nine. Um, and th- that kind of fighting is exactly what I remember uh, from those kinds of movies. Yeah, like, Obviously, yeah, for sure, I agree. At like, this point, I've seen many. I've seen other. I've seen other stuff, but that jump, them jumping, that's also very anime. Like just, just like getting ready and then taking shots at each other is a, is a very like, animated like said before about Kung Fu hustle where like Kung Fu hustles shots are very deliberate and they, they shoot them in a, in a way that they can easily manipulate them afterwards to make them look more cartoony, which yeah. is being a benefit for the film. Right. And like this movie mm-hmm. is very cartoony. Like the, the scene where thunder inflates at the end is like, it's like a cartoon. Like it, he looks yeah. cartoon with steam coming out of his nose and everything. It's an anime. Yeah. And, a good one too like it's not like you we've all been exposed to horrible adaptations of anime in live action and this movie was not an adaptation of an anime this was like john carpenter making his own live action anime which is like beautiful (laughs) it's i don't think akira i don't think akira had even come out yet i think akira is 1985 isn't it uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Steam come out of people's nose since 1926. <laughs> <laughs> this one's 86, though, right? No, it's 84. Um, Big Trouble I, is 80. According to Google, it's 86. Oh, I had it backwards. Okay, I was one when it came out, not negative one. Uh, I got confused. <laughs> okay, Akira, but still, Akira came out in 1988. The other movie that I was thinking about a lot while watching this, Kung Fu Hustle and uh, Shaolin Soccer. Now, if you've never seen Shaolin, Shaolin Soccer, hilarious. it's so fucking funny and good. Um, they're, they're, I think they both have the same like lead, lead actor, and they're basically the same comedy kung fu movies, uh, comedy martial arts. But though, like, if you like Big Trouble in Little China, those two movies, definitely go check them out. They're a little bit different. They skew more towards like seventies kung fu, um, but man, yeah. So the milkshake boy here says that kung fu hustle is the pinnacle of cinema, and uh, the milkshake boy is our viewer of the week. For saying that, nobody's <laughs> <laughs> won. You want the ability to watch the rest of this show and watch it on demand whenever you want. Here at hey, did you see this one on Instagram? I agree, though. I think that Kung Fu Hustle is actually a extremely good representation of how somebody can take what we would consider animation, the style of animation, and put it into reality and make it not uncomfortable to watch. There's somebody... I think a really good example is, like, uh, Michael Jordan stretching his arm at the end of Space Jam. It looks creepy and weird. Or... Any other example of like somebody being manipulated and their skin gets all rubbery, it's strange. I think the mask is a good example of how it works. Like they, they it works. The mask was Jim carries a rubber faced man. Yeah. Yeah. Jim carries a rubber faced man though. 
Hoffman. Like he somehow is a cartoon character that has been incarnated into real life. <laughs> I think yeah. you saw the. I think you saw the same TikTok because uh, was it about the One Piece casting? How are they going to do the the main character from One Piece's stretch stretch arm? And then they showed a p- like pictures from the original <laughs> Space Jam. Maybe yes, I don't know, I, but I, I if I did, I agree with everything they said because I'm because they uh, ruined one note. I hate or not uh they one uh death note. I hated death note. I hated what I, it. What I'm the saying, live the live action. Example, this is yeah. example. Kung Fu Hustle is a very good example. This is also a good example of how you can take certain things within animation, translate it to real life, and not have it come off as um. I mean, I, I'm going to use the word unnatural, but obviously it looks unnatural, but it looks good. And it looks not like roll on the floor laughing or run out of the room creepy. Like, you're just it like, was well yeah, that, like that seemed good for what was happening in this moment, which is like, again, I'll go back to uh, Lopan when he's like, when he's like, <laughs> he looks like a weird muppet and all of a sudden his head glows and his hands glow and you're like whoa and for a second you thought it was the real old man and then you realize it's a puppet when he starts to glow the practical effects in this movie top to bottom were all what i love about 80s yeah creature movies yeah uh and what i love about 80s that Wookiee sucks. That like weird like like the guy who the dog I, one. Yeah, the dog man. He sucks. That guy. Sucks. It looks like they took the Harry and the Henderson no, fucking looks like and melted him. Like his jaw is like like it's not okay. Weird. Fair enough. But the beholder and that fish thing that comes out of the wall, I thought those were be- like awesome. And that fish thing was good. Yeah. And the and they only show it. The beholder looked great, and the when he yeah when he started to glow, I had a moment where I was like, "How the fuck did they do this effect?" And to talk about <laughs> the special effects in this movie a little bit more, the it, they weren't so overdone. They used a lot of very subtle things. Where, for instance, when the when the mages come and attack the brothel, and the ceiling's blown out, and you can they show shots of like above, they only show like a little bit of green. You know, they don't overdo it. They don't, like, try to do a whole sky. The electrical effects were very cool to me. Uh, they looked really good, considering the era. Like, they look good for now, in my opinion. But the sound effect, the well, Foley artist... Lightning was, like, the first effect. They that's made. true. <laughs> in, yeah. In yeah, they're like, yeah. But they the Foley... The Foley art for the um, for the electricity, the sound of the electricity was especially compelling to me. Because it sounded weirdly like a bunch of springs bouncing, which mm-hmm. to make to make that sound effect instead of it going <laughs> just having like a sort of nondescript sound represent the electricity sound, I thought that was really uh, really clever. Um, and I, I, I just how did how I never see this it? movie? <laughs> I think they took a bunch of uh, of springs and like bounced them off. You know the springs. Wait, are you that... speculating on how they made sound effects right now? Yeah, yeah. It's it's very realistic that they could have taken the springs, taken the springs from a um uh uh what's it? What are the things you jump on? A trampoline. <laughs> a trampoline. They sound like when you take like three or four of those springs and just go like shake them. That's what that sound effect sounded like to me. 
This has been Jason's Theory Corner. This has been Jason's Foley Secret. Can I say, I feel like they missed an opportunity to really hit a home run by saying the movie title in a very obnoxious way. Like, I feel like it would have added to this movie if they actually said the movie title. Well, this is uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, it would have been a news broadcaster that said it. Apparently, folks, there's big trouble in Little China. There's a, <laughs> a man in a, a pickup, or what, an 18-wheeler. He's driving through the town, and he almost hit a bus. <laughs> That's true. He, he almost hit that bus. So uh, we've talked about this movie now for an hour. But, uh, of course, the movie, the, this podcast now ends when it ends. But since we didn't talk about it for an hour, uh, the plot for an hour, I, you know, we're going to, I'm going to let us go. I'm the host ha! with the most. I can boast the most roast. Uh, I'm going to let us go for probably another half hour here. So before we're, I'll, I'll save the last 15 minutes for our final thoughts. Um, but in the next little bit, uh, is there anything that you guys feel like we left out and would like to talk about? Kalen, you don't have to put your hand up. <laughs> <laughs> Can I give a shout out to secret doors that are obviously secret doors? Hell yeah. There's a, lot. The brothel, There's a lot in this movie, yeah. Like you could just tell the it's indented or whatever, like it's not a secret at all. Oh, like it's specifically when she when the woman, the, the mistress goes to the back and she yeah. like it's obviously a secret door and she touches the top and yeah. it opens. Yeah. yeah. They're not even trying to hide it. Well, there's another secret one later when uh, the eyes the Muppet eyes open up through the like the little slots open and then it opens yeah. up and then Gracie Law is like pulled <laughs> <laughs> into the... the whole escape at the end is one one secret door to the other I yeah. thought it was very uh, they were able to show claustrophobia really well when they run out they jump into that like small like almost moon pool I guess it would be and they're going up through the that it's only one real shot of like the tube that they're going through, and I got real like real nervous. Yeah, the tube. It's yeah. just a movie, Jason. It's um, just a movie. Also, at <laughs> that point, they all do eventually get through the tube. Anybody in the audience who's scared of tubes, they get that propeller uh, crossbow or what? Or not? Not propeller. Oh, but, we're not um, there yet. That's later. That's they go. They go through a whole other thing. They get guns and then come back before that. <laughs> anyway, go on about your crossbow. No, no, sorry, I interrupted you. You go on. Okay. They get through, <laughs> and uh, I, I keep wanting to say Nancy Grace. I know that's her, not, not her name. Her name is Gracie Law. She Gracie Law, attorney at law. Like, you have to say the whole name. She keeps being like, where's this person? Where's this person? Where's this person? She like keeps making sure everyone's there. And they all come up one by one. And every single person says, I don't know. I don't know. Like all of them are just concerned about their themselves. She is concerned about this right. person. And then the last person that's not there is Jack Burton. And she's like, where's Jack? And then the last guy says, I don't know where Jack is. And he goes down. And she's like, Jack, Jack, oh my god, Jack is dead. And she, for a moment, thinks that Jack is dead. Jack pops up, and they look at each other, and she hugs him, and is like, Jack, you're alive. And then he kisses her, and she's like, what the? And he's like, sorry, I'm just, you know, I still feel a lot of crazy shit. I almost died. Like, we almost just died. I'm sorry. 
in my opinion, that scene that was put in there because of every '80s action movie up to that point, having the hero kiss the girl for no reason. Gotcha. I am not done. You were <laughs> done there, did you? So they then escape the entire building, and everybody is in the bus, and everybody is like, "Is everyone here? Is everybody here?" And then Jack is like, "Where is Gracie?" And then you're like, oh, my God, Gracie literally checked to make sure every single person was there. Yeah. Not a single person checked to make sure that Gracie was there. That is disrespectful and also misogynistic. A plot point of this movie. <laughs> that it I was, yeah. Dig deeper upon. That was subtle. That was subtle. And that, that actually ties in with... Like, there's a lot of subtle movie making in there. That's what I mean when I say that the, that first kiss was like, what? And that was John Carpenter being like, we don't need the, we don't need the star to kiss the girl every single time. We don't need yeah. that. Yeah. It doesn't make sense in a lot of movies, let alone well, the movies where it flat out doesn't make sense. Here's the other thing is that the, the second kiss that they have only stands to, one, strengthen the end of the movie, which I think you guys already talked about when I was pissing. I could hear you guys talking about it. <laughs> yeah. And to make him have the sort of like disenfranchisement or like like unknown discomfort of having something on your face that you don't realize is there. And <laughs> the entire yeah. last fight, he has like smeared lipstick on his face that he doesn't realize yeah. is there. And he doesn't know. No one ever tells him, but he has like... Well, <laughs> she wipes it off his face and she's like, she wipes it and she's like, go get him. Yeah, but he still has it there. And it's on his teeth and everything. Like if, when he's talking, it's like on his teeth. And it's like... It's so good. Unbecoming and he kills the bad guy before he kills any of the bad guy's henchmen as well, which is great. He kills the there was an, boss, and then he has to kill the boss's henchman on the way out. There was that other weird subverted moment where, to speak to his like bumblingness, where he the the samurai guy is coming at him, and he, he's got the sword up, and he pulls the knife out and pokes him with the knife, or the knife comes out of the bottom of his boot, and then he's like stuck with this <laughs> with this dude who's pinned to the ground, and there's all this shit happening around him. I think we see four or five of those dudes like jump at each other with the swords. And he's just like, oh, man, what do I do? I'm stuck here. This dude's on top of me. He's dead. What do I do? I thought that was great. And I didn't think about it until you mentioned it after, Steve, that he bumbles through this whole movie. He doesn't really have... It's his whole thing, yeah. He, like, yeah. Literally, the beginning of that fight, he, sh he like, tries to shoot a round in the, into the air to, like... Stealing his balls up. Everybody else is fighting, and he gets up, and he's like, well, I guess the fight has started. And, uh, <laughs> it's so, I've gone through all my notes. I didn't take a lot of notes for this, because I knew that it would be easy to talk about organically. So, um, is there anything else you guys wanted to mention before we kind of wrap her up here? I got one. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's at the airport when uh, one of the like thug guys pulls out a butter butterfly knife or whatever, and they do the whole like butterfly thing, and then he's so like like caught off and like confused like what like I don't know why but I just 
Like I just love so, that. Okay, what happens? What happens is he the guy pulls out a butterfly knife and flutters yeah. it in his face, and he opens it, and then he opens a like a baton, like a collapsible baton, <laughs> and then he has both of them, and then Jack Burton says, "Where did you get that?" He's <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> And he's trying to like not get stabbed and beaten to death. Yeah. Good, yeah. It's a good part. Yeah. Also, when uh, I think it's after the alley fight and and Jack and uh, Wang uh, escape or whatever, and then they go out to another alley or something, and Wang splashes puddle water on Jack's face or some shit like that. Yeah. Because <laughs> he looked at Lopan when Lopan was like, ah! like when his like eyes and mouth were glowing, and he's like, somebody. Looking at me with glowing eyes, then his mouth glowed. <laughs> and then he just puts puddle water in his eye to wash it out. Yeah, that is extremely good. Um, yeah, like those little tiny moments are the thing that make the weird stuff seem somehow real, I guess. Like when you run over a, a giant man and then he comes out and screams at you with light out of his eyes and then yeah, in the corner, and somebody's like, "Here, use this puddle water in your face." Like, <laughs> okay, okay, let's, let's keep going. There was a, at that point in the movie. I'm going. There's already these like electric dudes show up, like the three guys. Uh, and I was like, "What is this movie?" And then as soon as I saw him barrel into the low pan, I was like, "Oh, is this going to be a thing where like they they accidentally kill?" like a, a mystic guy and then a bunch of stuff starts happening. But no, he goes under and just pops up on the other side. Yeah. There's also a great scene where when they're like running away, they run back through where the fight had happened. Yes. And the three ma the three mages were just like mowing the guys down. And yeah. I thought that was such a cool little scene that this, that stuff was still happening where in most movies like a thing happens and a thing happens and a thing happens. You don't have a, you don't have like, you never have a war movie where like, Two guys, two guys escape from the war situation they're yeah. in and then they run back around through the mm. scene, you know? This is the first time you see Jack Burton actually like understand what's going on. Because like every time up to that moment he's just being like, Come on, Wang, what do you mean, Wang? Wang, what the hell's going on? <laughs> and then he says, like, what about those guys in the yellow turbans? They were winning. What happened there? And then the other people are like, the three storms, and he's like what <laughs> <laughs> and like that was him running by and like he had just seen all these people like winning a crazy street brawl that broke out during a funeral procession <laughs> yeah he's like i don't know what i just saw and like that's kind of like like one of the nice beauties of this movie is that like again he is the the bumbling sidekick he is literally the sidekick if he were to follow wang the entire time wang is the hero of the movie yeah. And if you were to follow this movie traditionally or properly, you would see what Wang's journey is yeah, rather because... than it told through Jack Burton, which is just like him being like, I just want my truck back. <laughs> well, every, every movie like this from the 80s was always that flipped. It was always, it's always like the white dude, the white action star is doing all the things and his like person of color buddy is just there for the ride and usually played like a joke. And you're right. You're right. Like... Wang is that's the first time you see Wang do like ten backflips. I was like, "Oh, I see what they're doing here." I know that's late <laughs> in the movie, but they're it, doing a backflip on us here, ladies and gentlemen. And then he has that epic fight with the, with with Thunder or whatever Hair Hair Man. Yeah. Um. 
And then, meanwhile, Jack Burns pinned to the floor by a dead fucking a dead guy. He's trying to like pick him off the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't realize if he just goes like this to the side, like just go to the side. He's like trying to push him off. Yeah. But he's got a knife jabbed in him, so it's like uh, anyway. Anyway, so I think that I think we're gonna I think we're gonna wrap her there and take us to our final thought portion segment of the evening. Oh, can I say um, one more thing? Yeah, Kaylin, go ahead. Apparently, this was I, I don't speak, uh, like I can't read um, Chinese characters or whatever, but apparently the last scene with like the lightning, the lightning forms the character for Carpenter. Oh, that's on brand. That's on brand because of they live in, in that last scene where the news is talking about him and George Romero. He's a self insert. He's telling us the story personally. He's presenting yeah. it to us. He's sitting on the couch next to us, being like, "Watch this movie I made." You're weird. I'm weird. Let's go weird. I don't think I understood what you just said. Can you say it again? So when Me? I say character, oh. so like we have an alphabet and Chinese characters, right? So the one of I, I don't I don't remember. I I was just doing some Summarize. research or whatever, and one of the last scenes around the end or whatever with lightning i don't know what scene it was but it the lightning forms the character for the word carpenter oh okay yeah when you said the lightning forms carpenter i was like (laughs) for a minute i was like what does that fucking mean i thought you were like making like a really deep statement (laughs) no 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 the lightning forms his whole like his whole career his next few movies what do you mean by that Oh, that was just me being dumb. Sorry. And I'm not deep. Don't worry. You'll never have to worry about that, Steve. (laughs) That's why I was so confused. (laughs) I am good at doing that. I am very good at doing that. (laughs) He's not deep. He's my brother. Brother. Um, So, yeah. uh, I'm just going to... I'm going full host mode. I'm just going to go first because I can. (laughs) Um. I did it. I made a TikTok about this immediately after. You can find it over at uh, Important Influencer on TikTok. I did a three-minute, quickie what? little, basically just talked about all the things we talked about uh, in a very much much more concise <laughs> form. But I gave this movie a four point five, and I gave it a four point five to make up for the fact that I had never seen it. It's brilliant. It's a cult. It's got to be a cult classic, even though you don't hear you don't hear this come up a lot. You know, like. But I also feel like I do hear it come up a lot, which is a weird. I'm having a weird issue with that, where I feel okay. I feel like people talk it's about the it all the time. That I don't. I don't want to cut off your final. I don't want to cut off your final thoughts, but like the rights to remake this movie are owned by Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and he I thought- wanted to make a remake of this movie for a long time. And oh I my god! Know he knows why this movie is so good but at the same time watching the jumanji movies recently i think maybe he does so i think he could potentially remake the movie properly i'm not gonna lie i kind of like those new jumanji well i haven't seen them but i assume they're very tongue-in-cheek because it's you know actors acting like other actors is that's the premise is hilarious to me yeah and i think that if he was to do it appropriately you know like i have no reason to doubt 
uh, Dwayne Johnson at all. I think that he is a very smart person, and I think that he understands cinema. I think his dad's Canadian. His type of cinema. His dad is Canadian. Um, I think that he could. I think he could do it, but I also know that if he's going to redo it, he's going to be Jack Burton. Yeah. Which would be great because he could play that bumbling. Bumbling. Yeah. But he's. But they would add that extra element where he's huge. He's giant. And he's in yeah. all these tiny places, but he's giant, and that—that's <laughs> comedy. That's comedy to me. So just to finish, just to round out my thought here, I—I uh, I really, I really think that this is a good B, not even B. Like I, I would say this, it, it didn't reach blockbuster status because it didn't make blockbuster money. But I think where they live might have been a movie that they just put, like, kind of just put out. It's not also not really a B movie, but it's it's in the spirit of B movies. This feels like just as it's a, it's a parody or a satire of action movies of the era. And it's, it's, it, this movie would work a lot better in the 2010s when those kinds of movies were being made satires of other genres. Uh, It's a genre film, but, but taken to the, the, the taken to the way of comedy. And I absolutely loved every moment of it. And and you're right, like putting that little bit on the beginning to just be like, I can do magic. Like that was the slowest part of the. There's no real lulls in this movie. It's like a there's sprint. No, the sprint. Yeah. yeah. And I love. I I I watched it in a couple sittings today because I didn't want it to end. I could have sat and watched the whole thing. And it's only an hour and forty minutes, which I love. Uh, I'm really getting that like long movie fatigue, even for MCU movies. I, I have the Eternals to watch. We watched Karate Kid, and even that's two hours and twenty. Well, I mean, uh, I, I usually bring up uh, my my friends that I watch the movies with that had issues with it. No issues the whole time. At the end of the movie, Ryan said that was fun. That was a fun movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. It is fun. And I think John Carpenter, he did he write the script as well. I believe he did. Yeah, I don't know for sure. Like, don't quote me, but I, I think Kalen's he, got you. He usually the case kind of like weird things where he's like, I have an idea. Screenwriters: W. D. Richard, Gary Gold. Oh yeah, Gary Goldman. I remember hearing that name. And David Weinstein. Okay. Ugh. <laughs> Never. Okay. Weinstein's around here anymore. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's basically it for my final thought on it. But I. I I hold this now hold this movie in high regard as one of my favorites. And I really feel like I missed out on not having that weird, that de- my friend's weird dad show it to us at a sleepover. I did have that. I almost thought dark man at a sleepover, but I thought that was a straight horror movie. Uh, it turns is dark out it's man like the a, one where he goes invisible. Dark man is it's also, Liam Neeson. It's like yeah. they, he changes faces, but this is that dark man is also sort of like a, it feels like a movie you should have watched when you were a kid, when you watch it. And I, I should have watched it. Yeah. yeah. I met, I think I'm, I, I remember that sleepover very vividly. Cause I went into the, my friend's bedroom and was like, that movie's too scary for me. Yeah. And uh, that's just what it was because I saw Robocop yeah. when I was six it and it metal, messed me up. Bada bing, bada boom. Here we are. Happily. <laughs> so to continue with my uh, 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 plotting from the beginning, I'm going to go with Kaylin next. What are your final thoughts on this epic film that I gave probably way too high, way too high a mark for? <laughs> it's not too high. It's well deserving. It's a great adventure from front to back. Um, all the characters, you know, nailed their their what they brought to you know what 
what was required and then some. Um, I definitely enjoyed the, so like, and I, like, so, and we kind of said something about it earlier. I really want to see someone make a movie about a side, like it's starring the sidekick, but they're, you know what I mean? But it's not actually starting them kind of thing. Like I would love to see a modern version of that. I did enjoy watching, you know, who, you know, going in or whatever, the audience probably, probably expects uh, Jack to be, you know, the hero kind of guy, but he's just this bumbling guy fucking around, like, you know, a truck driver kind of thing, right? Um, and it was, it was true to character, I think, is, is like, the best part of it. Um, the... I don't want to get... I don't want to rate things by numbers anymore. I want to yeah, say... That's, that's, uh, a, that's a me yeah. thing. That's totally... I, I started that over two years ago now, and I've kind of shot myself on the foot with that rating system, but I'm going to stick to it because it's, it's out of five, but really it's out of ten. So you yeah. pick whatever you want to do. Don't give it a rating. I don't fucking care. <laughs> oh, look at that in the background. We're right on time. What is that, Willow? Credits. No, it's Romancing the Stone, which I am going to watch because it, like, it looks like a decent movie. It's, it's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Fine movie. Kurt Russell I this, and... Uh, I give this an enjoyable sitting back uh, on the couch, smoking a fatty bobatty with some munchies, and you know, smile from ear to ear. Uh, go check it out. Well, all right, Steve. I guess he, he gives it a smile from ear to ear. One just before we get to your final thought, there's one thing we didn't bring up, which was a great uh, to our point that this is sort of like a, a satire parody of these kinds of movies. Egg literally is like, do you want this giant, dirty, hairy gun? <laughs> He's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I thought that was a, that's that. I think that was the moment where I was like, oh, I see what they're doing here. Uh, sorry, I just wanted to throw that in because I forgot to mention it from earlier. But yeah, go ahead, Steve. Oh yeah, uh, Jason, I have this for you here. Uh, don't worry, it'll make you feel like dirty Harry. Take that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm you good. I got a knife. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll give it to my friend over here. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I I agree that that is the reason that makes this movie great is <clears throat> even the characters within the movies are making assumptions about each, each other and they don't fully get to a point where they confront each other about it. But like you know, like there's like the point where Jack Bur Burton walks in the room and he's like. You speak English, and the guy's like, "Who the who is this guy?" He's <laughs> just an Asian man who speaks perfect English, and instead of just speaking to him, he says, "Do you speak English?" He's like, "Who the fuck is this?" Guy? And like the dirty Harry moment is like the reverse of that, but like you know, it's not as impactful. But it is. I, I assume there were people in the audience who's like, "Yeah, take the dirty Harry gun. What are you doing?" <laughs> automatic machine gun <laughs> this like handheld machine gun that's been doing me well throughout the movie um i have always liked this movie since i was a kid didn't even realize that i liked it as a kid was reintroduced to it because i worked in a warehouse for like a, a small period of my life i i was it shipping or receiving what shipping or receiving is that what you just said yeah i'm curious as well both 
That's what okay. warehouses do. <laughs> That's Import he makes, export. He makes a good point. Warehouse that only ships. I mean exporting. Usually receive as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Sorry. I didn't work at Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory where we only ship. Uh, so I uh, worked there for a, a long while and then I was put on a night shift and then like when you're on a night shift there's like not a lot to do like you do your work and then you're like I have four and a half more hours to pretend like I'm doing work so I guess I'll just talk to these people did you make a bed out of anything I made a bed out of everything everything I <laughs> And that's how I learned about Big Trouble in Little China and how I always knew about it but didn't really think about it as an adult. And all these, not all these guys, two guys in particular would, like, say, like, watch out for the pork chuck of Express. And, like, nah, nah, like go buy a like, pork <laughs> And I was like, what's the, I know what the pork chop Express is, but I'm too scared to ask. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, my pork lift and shit. And, uh, they reintroduced it to me like in the in the lunchroom and i was like i gotta go back and rewatch it and i did and i was like this is such a good movie in every way this is like a star wars almost like the, it's like so well paced everything about mm -hmm. it is like here's what you're gonna deal with here's what you need to know and then they keep throwing random shit at you that seems like it could expand off into another universe but like you know exactly what the threat is and it's it's perfect. It, it, it's a perfect little kid film. And by that, I mean, like, not a tiny kid who's going to be scared of the guy blowing up or low pan being like, ah! <laughs> he's like glowing and shit. But like, a, like a 13 year old can watch that movie and be like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And like, that's what this movie is designed to be. It's not made for anybody but that sort of like, kid who just wants to see cool it's no scarier than ghostbusters and ninja turtles that's what blows my mind about the fact i've never seen it this is on brand for me in spades yeah um i i also think that it's it's well written and it's well paced and it's very well edited and the music is very good so like there's there's all these other things piling on top of it being just very great in terms of i know you said you know kim cattrall's performance wasn't up to snuff for you but like i think that she is like she knows exactly what the dialogue is meant to represent and she knows exactly what she's doing and like though she may at times seem like like she's on like a stage performance where she's like, where she's like well this and then are mm, and like she like turns her head to the side of the screen and goes oh and you're like yeah but you know it's it's good it's it's talking about it i've, I've kind of come back around on it to be honest with you because because i don't like I mean, Kurt Russell's doing the same thing. Like, he's coming yeah. in. Well, hail the hell the... Remember when he comes in with the phone? He's like, we work for the telephone company. And he's just, like, waving a phone around. Like, that's... Well, I'm trying to get my truck back. Like, that's not what you do when you work for a phone company. You come in and say... By the oh, way, your phone's dead. Yeah, I heard there's a phone in the basement that needs another phone. <laughs> uh, like, it's... It's good. It's a very good movie. It's it's John Carpenter doing his wacky stuff, which is like usually the best of John Carpenter. Like the thing is, I know we're not going to talk about the thing on the show, and like I wish we were, but at the same time, it's over discussed, and we want to talk about the other ones. But like 
best movie for sure. But this, I would say, is like his his second best movie. For like one hundred percent, this is his second best movie. It's so good. This movie in, influenced so many people in ways that they probably don't even realize. I was watching this movie and realized that a lot of my like D and D shit that I do. I was like, oh my god, this is just David Lopin I created. <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking about your, your D and D and I was like, did he has he ever I wonder if he's done like a you know, like a, a Chinese Asian folklore, like they go into this place and it's like suddenly like everything is very like I haven't, but I've done an old man in a wheelchair who is like astral projecting himself as a young man. <laughs> like I've done that. He's like, this is what I want to look like, but this is what I actually look like. <laughs> well, I, I another thing I thought about too is in Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO that I play, they they did a whole expansion where they go to the Far East, and suddenly everything, even though it's a game from Japan, it's everything suddenly all super super Asian. And I was like, yeah, just just put white put like hilariously bad white people into these <laughs> situations, and and just go full on yeah. like go full on as, as like weird as it is to talk about because we are three white men yeah uh, <laughs> to, me, to me at least I, I don't know i'm not asian i cannot talk to the racism that this movie might push forward but i have always felt or not always but like since i understood uh being an ally in terms of like racism yeah like it's like like I, I never thought this movie was overly racist in terms of the the sense that like white people are overpowering the movie because it I is, wanted to bring that like, up. Yeah, like, it's I like think the, Carpenter was conscious There's a world that. that exists yeah. that you understand, and the white people are too dumb to understand it, and they they're almost like too blind to really realize that it's there. And even though it's like magical and stuff, that's like us. That's how we look at everything. Here's like, another ex magical thing. Here's it's another example of something I saw recently that I always thought was fine. I watched the first Karate Kid recently, and while me and Madison, my wife, were watching the movie, we no, were Daniel looking at... was an asshole the whole time. No, he's a dickhead, but we were... <laughs> That's a different conversation. But as far as Mr. Miyagi, I was like, this is kind of handled with respect considering it's... Th this movie is 1984. That's why I got confused. This movie's ha He's handled with respect, but articles we were reading online were like, the Asian community at the time was kind of like, oh, he's a mystical Asian guy. That's too, that's racism. But as compared to other movies where they're outright just straight racist, like this is, this doesn't, this only feels racist if you make it racist. If you take it for what it is, as like a, as like the whole thing is ridiculous. It's it, it's also okay. kind of treated with it, respect. It's not like racial slurs. Some, they don't like Chinatown in downtown Toronto. There's not going to be a guy being like, "Leave Jack Burton alone." <laughs> <laughs> we know that magic doesn't exist, but like the way that white people look at Asian culture or any other culture, you look at it with a certain sense of mysticism because it's foreign to you. So like, there's yeah. magic there, and like that's what. I guess the conceit of this movie is, is that like there's a whole world that exists outside of your own and you looking onto it, it's magical. But at the same time, Jack Burton comes in and he's like, I'm going to bust the door down and I don't care. And like, he's like, hey, there is magic. Holy well, shit. that's, that's part of why I, my, my theory corner today was this week was that he's just telling 
a weird like, him telling the story over Stevie Radio a little racist in, in my theory. You know what I mean? But that makes more that makes oh, a lot of sense okay. to me. That makes a lot of sense to me of, of him being like, well, I went to Chinatown in San Francisco and I saw this fucking magic. Right. It's the classic, like, I heard it from a friend. Of a Exaggerating. Friend kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Which I like because, uh, like, this movie, like, again, I worked in that warehouse, but it was also, we did deliveries, right? So I worked with, like, uh, these old guys that... Export. Some of, some, of, <laughs> some of them were on long-haul trucking routes and stuff, and they would they would talk about how, like, I would be driving in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere down a long stretch of highway that would take us seven, seven hours to get across it, but there would be no one but me and the radio. And I would pick up the radio and just talk into it and hope that somebody else would hear me. And then eventually cool. somebody would pick up and talk back to you. And you would just talk to that person for the entire trip because you had nothing to do. And you're like, that sounds like a weird torture that I never knew existed. <laughs> like, put me in front of a car that I had to make sure went down a straight line and I had a radio <laughs> that I could talk into, but maybe no one will ever talk to you. And then all of a sudden someone's like, hello, I can hear you, buddy. And you're like, in <laughs> town in San Francisco and this crazy thing happened to In San Francisco. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, this has been this week's episode of Hey, did you see this one? And we talked about the movie Big Trouble in Little China. And I think that we kept it pretty concise this week because I'm I'm your host and I have a lot of hosting <laughs> experience and keeping it. And because we are, uh, what's the word, respectful co-hosts, not interrupting you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Steve last week got a little bit bombarded, but I, I last week was a special episode where Sorry, Steve. it was a Friday night. Uh, we were all having a little bit of Friday fun. But um, with that, I have to ask the titular question. Hey, did you see this one? Hey, did you see this one? <laughs> I, I saw it. <laughs> For Steve and Kaylin, as always, I'm Jason. For Jason and Steve, I'm Kellen. For Jason, for Kaylin, for me, Stephen. I saw it all. Awesome. And we'll see. We'll see you next week when we escape from LA. No, no. Escape from New York. We're gonna be there. A I'm pretty sure we're gonna go in someone's darkness. mouth. Oh, we're doing the darkness. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see you next week when we do the darkness. The Prince of Darkness. Well, You're we'll see prince. you next week when we do The Prince of Darkness. Thanks for joining, Zach Rosenart. <laughs> <laughs>